football season is never over. The Ringer NFL Show has got all your football needs covered from free agency to the draft and so much more. Check out The Ringer NFL Show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Ringer NBA Show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find out what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older. 18 and older in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. Basketball is very good. Welcome to Ringer NBA University. I'm Kevin O'Connor. Here today, as always, is our distinguished professor of small ball, Jonathan Charks, and our dean of basketball video research, Jay Kyle Mann. How are you guys doing? What's going on? I'm good. How are you doing, KLC? I'm doing really good today. What about you, Charks? What's going on? You enjoying March Madness so far? I mean, wild times in the NBA and the NCAA. It's a lot to talk about. It's kind of crazy having March Madness happening the same time as the NBA trade deadline. This is unusual. This has never happened in our lifetimes before, has it? You know, obviously with the delayed season, it's kind of fun. It's a lot to keep track of. Yeah, I guess you're right because it's the calendar. Yeah, yeah. I never thought about that. Yeah, I guess it, it is It is wild that it's hitting. And and the fact that they're like, yeah, the, the format that they're doing with this NCAA tournament, the way it's like more compact, I guess, to get them out of there quicker. Yeah. It, it's, it, it's dense. Yeah. It's like the, the tournament doesn't start again until Saturday. And so later on this podcast, we'll be discussing some of the prospects and matchups to watch for. But first, Thursday, 3 p.m. Eastern is the NBA trade deadline. So let's begin there talking through some of the latest reports. And since this is Ringer NBA University, we're going to focus on younger players involved in those trade talks. And let's begin with Aaron Gordon from the Orlando Magic. The Celtics, Nuggets, and Blazers are the three main teams that have interest in Gordon. And now it's being widely reported that it seems like two first-round picks is the price for Gordon, who's 25 years old, averaging 15 points, seven rebounds, and four assists, while shooting a career-high 39% from three. Charks, two first-round picks for Gordon. What is it about his game that makes him so appealing to these teams? Well, and I think, first off, it is funny because you don't think of Aaron Gordon necessarily as a younger player anymore because he's the seventh year in the league, but he is only 25. And that's what's so hard. You got to keep in your mind with a lot of these guys you talk about. We're talking about Julius Randle a couple weeks ago. Same kind of thing. Like These guys come in at 18, 19, and they're still only in their mid-20s when they start to move around the league a bit. And you just kind of forget the talents there. With Aaron Gordon, it's the hypothetical, right? We've seen him now in Orlando for like six years, playing the three, handling the ball, initiating the offense. It just hasn't really worked to their expectations. And the hope is if you trade for Aaron Gordon, use him more as a small ball big, more as a screener instead of a ball handler in the pick and roll, yes. as a defensive stopper, that kind of like a more of a jet, more of a Swiss army knife kind of player. The hope is that version of Aaron Gordon can help a winning team as opposed to kind of the jacking up shots version of Aaron Gordon Orlando, which is not really helping anybody. Yeah, I mean, he's he's still at an age where and the real question and KOC, you and Verno hit on this on the mismatch is that like his usage and certain players, this is true of their context can kind of put a strain on their efficiency. But like Gordon has grown a lot since he's been in the league and Orlando year after year has been in this situation where they an offensive rating they've been in like the bottom five of the league Ugh. it's just been a team that has been a little 
a little stilted. Um, they're they're a team that kind of I always think about this this metaphor that like, and this kind of applies to some people we'll talk about coming up here too. Is that like he just hasn't been in an offense that has had the opportunity to burn really hot and like to to take pressure off of some of his areas where he maybe isn't the strongest, where he could he could play off of maybe some shot creators that can make his life a little bit easier and sort of um, I don't know just refine and limit some things that uh that he could excel at and and yeah some winning teams could use him i think for sure you guys both hit on the same note he hasn't been in an ideal situation and and charks you mentioned the idea of him being used more as a screener you know playing with so many bigs over the years including vucevic turning into the guy that he has as an all-star player has really limited those chances he also hasn't played with a point guard that can do that too but like what is it about gordon's skill set that would make him effective in that role charks I think it's two things. One, obviously the size, 6'9", very athletic. He's got the passing ability. He's 4.3 assists this year. So, like, when you combine, it's just hard to find guys 6'9", athletic with passing ability who can also defend. And so that two-way ability, it's just a rare skill set that teams are going to want to take a chance on, even if he hasn't really produced. And like you said, KOC, it's like, Put him with a point guard. Let him play in space. It's, it sounds so basic, but it's never really happened for him in his career. So with that in mind, put him with a point guard. Let him play in space. What you're describing is kind of like the the Draymond role, you know, where yes. he's like screening yeah. for Steph or even the Bruce Brown role. Like we talked about on a recent episode with Brooklyn. Now we're seeing Blake Griffin in that role with Brooklyn, too, with Kyrie or James Harden running that pick and roll. So, you know, we have Boston, Denver. In Portland, it seems like Boston, uh, it's been widely reported, could be offering something along the lines of Marcus Smart with two first-round draft picks. With Denver, I was told, and it's been reported, their initial offer was built around Bull Bull. Um, I've been told that's not enough uh, for Orlando, that they would want something more than that. They'd want more picks, maybe throw an R.J. Hampton into that, something like that. And I've also been told that Denver's trying to flip Gary Harris for an expiring contract in order to make it a three-way and get that facilitated and with Portland not a lot is out there but when I look at Portland and I think about Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum the amount of pick and rolls they run a release valve like Aaron Gordon like isn't isn't Portland the ideal fit I mean that's how I feel Kyle like where do you land with some of these potential destinations for Gordon yeah, I mean, that's kind of what I was getting at is that he's he's probably better suited to be more of one of those like fulcrum creators that I've talked about more of like, um, you know, the the joint in between two pieces where he can screen and he can roll and he can hit open shots, but you're not depending on him to, you know, Orlando's offense has been like a crowded elevator the last like the last five seasons. It's just there's not a ton <laughs> of, of room for to operate and you're, you're putting him in a bad situation. And I was just thinking. Who's the best creator that Aaron Gordon has played with in Orlando? Who is it? Alfred Payton. <laughs> and not a not a not an efficient. He ball played with shooter. Oladipo, I think, for a little yeah. bit. It's I mean, they've had a lot of guards come through there over the years. Yeah, but that's I mean, one. In the NBA, yeah. you need you need multiple. Yeah. DJ Just Augustine, one. Markel Fultz. I mean, who else? Jerry and Grant. Didn't if they have uh Briscoe at one point. Briscoe. Brought your boy Briscoe back for a year, Kyle. (laughs) You're just rattling off people who are like downhill people who who aren't efficient shooters. And then they draft Cole Anthony. It's like, I mean, well, he's he has a big asterisk next to him. Going off Kyle's point, I think this is important too. So the fulcrum thing, I think it's exactly right. But I think when Aaron Gordon came into the league, he didn't see himself that way. And that's what's so nice sometimes like grabbing guys on their second team in their mid-20s because mm. they've had the chance to try to do it their way, right? Aaron Gordon, you know, he, like like most young guys, he wants to be all-NBA, all-wing Kevin Durant, right? He doesn't want someone to be Draymond Green. So he, he has a chance to do that. It hasn't worked. Now on your team two getting him, now, man, he's lost a long time, right? His career has not gone where he's wanted to go. Now you say, hey, man, that role you thought you was good for you, actually this role, if you buy into it now, now you're going to win in this role. You're going to put up some good numbers. You're going to win. You're going to get a higher profile. Let's go. That's the key. I think a lot of t- a lot of young guys, I think, you want to be the second team for them because they've kind of learned the hard way that what they want to do is not going to work. Are you holding a playing card right now? I do. I like, to flip, I like to flip playing cards sometimes. Uh, can I ask you a question? So if you had a deck of cards and you'd say, you know, Kevin Durant is an ace, you'd say LeBron's an ace. What would you say Aaron Gordon is in a deck of cards on a championship Ooh. team? He's a joker. 
You kind of <laughs> plug him in. Plug him in. Uh, okay. I think I, I think that's a good way to put it. He is like you can use Aaron. Gordon. Imagine Aaron Aaron Gordon on Denver. You can have him in some high pick and rolls with Jamal Murray. You can have him running some big, big pick and rolls with Jokic and getting the preferred matchup that you want for Jokic. You can have him playing off ball, you know, spot up shooting, cutting to the rim, attacking closeouts like Jeremy Grant did for years there. It was very effective doing. And what he's always going to give you, and I think this is the most underrated aspect of Gordon's game because Orlando has not been good over the years, and it's defense. It's the defensive ability where two years ago when Orlando made their run to the playoffs and they lost in the first round, but they won a game. He had some great, great possessions throughout that run to the playoffs against James Harden, against Kawhi Leonard. He has shown versatility to defend different types of scorers, different shapes and sizes, different styles. And if he could do that on a winning team for you, where he's not worried about getting those post touches, like you're talking about, Sharks, not worried about bringing the ball up the floor. If he can focus on the little things, defense, rebounding, screening, picking his spots offensively, it makes a lot of sense to me why some teams are going all in with multiple first round draft picks. He is that type of guy who can elevate a championship team. But not all of us feel that way, right? On this podcast. Do you guys not feel that way? No, somebody lurking in the shadows. That's right. Producer Isaiah Blakely, Celtics fan. Isaiah, you are not into the idea of Boston trading for Aaron Gordon. Uh, Is there anything you would give up for him? Uh, No. I said before the show, I wouldn't give up my bottle of water for him. And obviously, like, (laughs) (laughs) like that's hyperbole, obviously. But I don't think he's a very good fit. Um, Like you guys mentioned him needing more playmakers around him. The Celtics are one of the lowest assist teams in the NBA. It's a lot of ISO ball that I think he'd fall into as well. Um, and I don't view the Celtics as a championship team right now. And so I don't like this adding Aaron Gordon. Do they beat the Nets? Now the series may be tight with the Sixers. Like, I, I just, I don't see the benefit in giving up one, your, your only leader currently, Marcus Smart plus two first rounders. I just, I don't think it's a big enough addition. I mean, smart, that does seem high compared to the other packages being thrown around out there. Yeah, it's it's very interesting. And like that is so out there to first round draft picks and smart. It is so out there that sometimes I wonder how much of that stuff is real because it's so out there. But there are a lot of times where what's out there is the case. And that's the truth right now with Kyle Lowry. So let's move on to the Kyle Lowry trade discussions involving the Toronto Raptors. At this point, you know, we know Miami and Philadelphia are both in on Lowry. Woj reported late Tuesday night that Miami has shown restraint and how far they're willing to go in a deal, which aligns with what I've heard there. Um, and this is this is a complicated situation because as Brian Windhorst from ESPN said earlier in the week, this is sort of like Lowry's free agency. You know, he he's he, he becomes a free agent this offseason at age 35 years old. He'll have a choice of where he wants to go, but he kind of has that choice right now. I've been told he might as well have a no trade clause. And it's kind of his choice where he wants to go. But, you know, with that said, Toronto obviously has a say in terms of what they would accept for him. And right now it seems like Miami is offering something along the lines of Precious Achua and Duncan Robinson. They could also give up a Casey Akpala, Kendrick Nunn. And then the Raptors want Tyler Hero. And then the Sixers could be giving up Matisse Thibel or Tyrese Maxey and some first round pick in there. And so a lot of the focus on this has been about like, what does Lowry offer to Miami or Philly? Let's look at it from the other side of it here. And it's what potential return is most preferred for Toronto. So with those names involved in terms of desirability for the Raptors, Kyle, how would you rank like the top five players from this group that you would want? If you're in Masai Ujiri's seat, who, what's your power rankings of some guys here? My my first guy, and I guess as I was going through this, you just have to start thinking about the things that you could easily replace. I mean, in turn, when you start talking about the value of these young players, what's the upside? What do I feel most confident about? All obvious things, obviously. I mean, first, I, I mean, it's Hero. And, like, I think you'd have to put Hero number one for me. I have um, him one, two. Um, two and three, I got a little... I got a little like I was I was like, these are interchangeable. But as I thought about it more and more, I was like, for what Toronto does, what they have a pedigree in. At first, I had Maxi too, but I kind of lean precious too. Mm. actually. Wow. Honestly. Both over Duncan Robinson. I that's, have that's Duncan four. 
I have Duncan four. Uh, I mean, we have, the, yeah. we have the same top four, Kyle. That's all. Okay. We have the same exact top four. You're different wow. sharks. I have Duncan Robinson too. I think well, it's pretty, it's pretty clearly above those other two guys. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's the interesting argument then, I guess, in this whole conversation. I mean, what, why would you say that though? Yeah. I think for, I mean, Robinson talking about a six, seven, six, eight movement shooter. I think he's not bad on defense. I mean, he moves decently enough. He's so long that sometimes I remember last year in the playoffs, she'd be like, oh, we're going to ISO Duncan Robinson. It's a six, eight wing. Even though he's not an elite athlete, like it's so hard to create a lot of shots on him. And that I think is much more valuable than I look at. Okay. Tyrese Maxey. 6'3 combo guard, Precious Achua. I've never been a big Precious guy. He's like a 6'8 scoring big man who's already lost a spot in the rotation. I'm just not really quite sure what he is. Whereas I know Duncan Robinson can start in a finals team. I don't even see how that's even close. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you're comparing things in different stages too, which isn't totally fair because I'm looking at Maxi and I'm saying, okay, this guy has, and Doc Rivers has talked a lot about this, that he needs to night to night prove whether he's a scorer or a playmaker. And that's kind of been the question for him all along. It's like, what is, is he going to become a guy who is like, uh, uh, who can carry a big scoring load and become more of a creator and become an, all, an on ball pressure guy? That's a pretty valuable thing. But then, I just think Precious, when you if you put him in that kind of environment, they have a pedigree of developing those types of players who maybe don't have as clear an identity. And I think when you get to like 24 or 25, you know, Precious could be a part of a winning environment. But Duncan, I mean, I see what you're saying. He's historically special. I mean, I even think we under we underrate him a little bit how historically special well, he is. One thing, KFC, I'm curious about, it's like with these trades. So on one hand, Miami, you're talking about Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson. Whereas Philly's talking about guys kind of in the end of the rotation, like why wouldn't Shake Milton be in these conversations? That's a good young player who's, you know, I mean, he's, if, if you can talk about Duncan Robinson, not Shake Milton. Well, th that's the interesting thing here, Charles. You know, Shake Milton is 24, so he's on the slightly older end of, you know, yeah. what a young player might be. Duncan Robinson turns 27 in April. And he's going to be a restricted free agent offseason. And this is one of the reasons why I have him a little bit lower, because he will be a restricted free agent this offseason. We just saw Joe Harris get four years, 72 million. Uh, will Duncan Robinson get somewhere around that? I don't know. Joe Harris is, is a more proven player over a longer period of time. And it was different circumstances with Brooklyn and him entering restricted free agency there. But Duncan Robinson get paid. Shooters get paid. And if you're a Toronto, would you rather have the soon-to-be 27-year-old, soon-to-be highly paid 27-year-old over, you know, Precious Achua, you know, who could be a developmental project for you as a switchable player, like Siakam-esque, you know, you, you helped him develop along, or Tyrese Maxey, who very, you know, very good potential pick-and-roll playmaker for you, has some Lowry qualities to him, maybe bring him into the system. So the one thing that's clear to me, though, is your point there, Chalks, that Miami, a lot of the guys in the discussion are rotation players. Hero and Robinson were in a rotation on a finals team. Maxi and Thibel are, you know, more back at the rotation for Philly, which is why they'd be giving up a first round pick in, a, in, in any type of deal here. But it seems to me that on paper, Miami has more to offer. Do you guys agree there? Like they could offer more if they choose to? No, I mean, there's no question. Yeah. Yeah, I, th I think so. I would say, too, about, about Duncan Robinson, I feel like if I have OG and Pascal, you can slide in Duncan Robinson right between those two guys. And I think that is a really nice threesome yeah. that complements each other really well. And I'm curious what y'all think. Would y'all take Tyrese over Malachi Flynn in terms of young? Because they're both in the same kind of bucket in the draft. The guy the Raptors drafted, the combo guard. That's an interesting thought there. If you're Toronto, it's like, yeah, we already got a solid young point guard to develop. And Malachi Flynn. Flynn is 22 years old, so yeah. turns 23 it's, later this year in May. It's one of those. It's one of those things where we we have the thing in front of us and we have the mystery thing, and it's like I you just kind of <laughs> have to go with Maxi, in my opinion, just because the 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 upside is just uh, you know I could get there are Malachi Flynns that come along more frequently than Tyrese Maxis, I would say you know even though they both are in that that realm of like we could get these guys you know once more frequently you know sure yeah I, I think that makes sense to me there kyle and, and for these teams here with the discussion on maxi it'll be interesting to see how philly you know operates here over the next day because i've heard that they're reluctant to deal matisse Thibel. 
And there's some rumblings that maybe they prefer to move Maxi, which makes sense. Like you have Ben Simmons on the team. You would be getting Kyle Lowry, who would be absorbing a lot of the ball handling. You'd be mm -hmm. signing him to an extension. And so it makes sense there. And for Toronto, though, you know, do you feel like they should get Tyler Hero in a deal here? Does Should they demand that with the leverage that they have? with Miami and Philadelphia both really wanting Kyle Lowry here? Or is there a, a deal that built around an Achua or a Robinson that you'd feel more comfortable taking uh, if you're the Toronto Raptors? Like, what does it take if you're in Masai Ujiri's seat here? See, I would take Robinson. I'd be happy with that. I mean, Hero would be great, but I'd be happy with Robinson. Yeah, I, it's... You're, you're just kind of weighing short-term windows and how often do these things happen. I mean, I feel like Philly is in a position where... They are they are they have a lot of kind of conflating pressures, converging pressures that could that could push them to want to do this and maybe painfully, you know, it's gonna sting to kind of punt on younger guys earlier than you would like to. Um how long is this window gonna be for Philly? How long is this window? I mean, I know I heard, I heard Verno kind of talking about that. How long is Jimmy Butler gonna be this guy? Those are the things that are gonna weigh heavily into this. I mean, I would be really reluctant to give up Hero, um, just because I do think he's been getting knocked lately for his defense, but he's 21 he's, years old. Yeah, he's a young guy and he's kind of the interchangeable perimeter piece. He's bigger than I think people realize sometimes. Um, I, I'd, I would be really reluctant to give him up, but uh, because Miami's a team that has shown that they can rebuild on the fly as well as anybody. So I, I would I would really be tempted to just hang on to him. How about you, Chark? So, you know, if it comes down to it, if Toronto says to you, you know, 2.50 p.m. Thursday, look, we're going to take the Philly deal. Unless you're giving us Tyler Hero instead of Duncan Robinson. And, you know, let's just say Precious Achua is in there, you know, maybe one first round draft pick. This, like the price is getting high here for a 35 year old yeah. point guard. But what's at stake is maximizing this Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo core that just went to a championship and went to a game six. And the window is open here. Like that's what's at stake. And that's why the price has gotten so high. And by the way, Lowry's 35. But he's still really, really, really good. <laughs> like he can get worse and still be a good player for the years to come, unless he just you know falls off a cliff here. That's the risk. But is he going to taper off, or, or is he going to plummet? Or is the yeah. question. And, and that's yeah. the fear for any anytime someone's older. But that's what they do. They call you at two fifty. What what are you doing there, Charks? What's Norm Powell up to? Like that's the guy I'd be interested oh, in. You I think if I'm Miami, because Norm Powell is younger. You've already got Jimmy to handle the ball. He's really killing it this year. He's very, very athletic. He can guard multiple positions. He can really shoot it. Now we can start. Let's start talking bacon about Norm Powell. Maybe we can find a middle ground if we don't want to give up um, Tyler Hero. And you know, I'm glad you brought him up, Charles, because also in that Woods report last night, he said Philly's also in on Norman Powell, Lonzo Ball, and George Hill. So they have some options besides Lowry. Maybe they're using that as leverage too to say, hey, we don't need to give all this for Kyle Lowry. We, we can trade for these guys, including Powell, who's also on Toronto. But with Norman Powell, you mentioned he had a breakout season. What has he shown this year for this to be a sustainable scoring stretch for him? Or would this be more of a sell high if you're the Raptors? Well, I mean, he is, he is 28. This is the biggest role he's had, right? He's always kind of had to fight for his spot in Toronto. I mean, he's shooting better, shooting better than ever. I don't know. I mean, like, I think he's just kind of, he's 27, sorry. So, I mean, I think it's the prime of his career. He's a very athletic two-guard with a good jump shot. Those guys, as the role increases, can do better. I don't see any reason to think he's going to fall off. I think his floor is really high, given his physical tools. That's a guy I would love to acquire, especially if I had a guy like Jimmy Butler where I don't need another ball here necessarily, right? He's running the point anyways. I can play Norm as my one and have him guard point guards and use his size. With Philly, Kyle, the, the idea of them trading for Lonzo Ball, um, does that make sense for them to go for Alonzo here? A younger guy that sort of fits the timeline of Embiid and Simmons. How far would you be willing to go for Lonzo Ball if you're the Sixers? Uh, for me, I mean, I yeah, I don't I don't know about that, man. I mean, I, I kind of feel like I feel like I like when I last night I actually texted somebody that like Powell seems like a guy that I would be more tempted to add 
you know, because he's going to he's going to continue to like sustain some of that defensive solidity that they that they have. I mean, that's their strength is they they're going to be just a pain to play in the playoffs because they are so defensively flexible. If they can add him, I don't know what the timetable for Embiid to come back is. And I don't know how much that's going to affect their aggressiveness in this kind of situation. I don't know about Lonzo and Ben Simmons next to each other. Uh, something in my basketball brain kind of just doesn't really <laughs> click with that. I, I just don't I, don't. I don't know that I that I'm pro that that mindset. Because I mean, that it's two guys who don't shoot off the dribble, right? So it's like you kind of want to bring in a guy who can do that next to Ben instead of doubling down on kind of what Ben already does. I think would be the idea. And, yeah. and really, they need more of that downhill presence. That guy who can run a high pick and roll for you. And Lonzo isn't that guy necessarily is more somebody that does them in the open court. You already have Ben Simmons for that. They would diminish the value of having Lonzo there. I mean, it'd be fun to watch, but I don't think it's the championship, you know, hand to play here for the Philadelphia 76ers. To me, that is Kyle Lowry. But with that said, Lonzo Ball has generated a lot of interest around the league. You know, he enters free agency as a young player for the Pelicans this offseason. The Hawks and the Bulls are among teams to express interest. I've heard that the, the Bulls are discussing a Lowry marketing for Lonzo Ball deal. How do you feel about that, Kyle, if you're the Pelicans? Or why are, or do you fall into the bucket of, why are we even talking about trading a young guy in Lonzo Ball? Uh, I mean, I think that Lonzo, there's, there's some interesting... We're trying to build around Zion, ultimately. Whether that means we're getting rid of Lonzo, whether I mean, I'm personally willing to get rid of Ingram. That's a really harsh way to put it. I'm I'm willing to flip Ingram for something that fits oh. better, because oh. both. I mean, I'm everybody. I mean, I'm I'm willing to move everybody. I might I might hang on to Kyra Lewis, but I I think that like Zion is kind of just running into some of the spatial challenges. You're going to have the similar spatial challenges that you have with like building around Giannis and, you know, Bledsoe and Lonzo kind of have the same thing. It's just like when you have a threat like Lonzo, I want to make teams as uncomfortable as possible jumping into that into, into gaps when they're defending Zion. I want to make them really hesitant to do that. And with with Lonzo's inconsistency, I just want somebody because and we just. Zion has gone through this every step of his career. When is he when is he going to play with a dynamic offensive team that can that can take pressure off of him? I think that's where you're building towards. So I think I would be willing to move Lonzo for that reason. I know that he's been better, but we're talking about trends, you know. I want to I want somebody that has DNA that I can depend on in that way. Is Markin that guy? Markinen fits the 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 mold of what we've talked about in the past. I joked about putting Vucevic next to Zion. I mean, defensively, that would maybe be a little troublesome. But I mean, Mar and I guess it's a similar conversation. If you if you can put a stretch guy to get, you know, I just want to get as much open road in front of Zion as I possibly can, and people that he could pass to. Um, I think Markinen and Zion would be interesting next to each other. I don't know, forty percent from three and seven attempts per game. That's pretty good, Sharks. I'm still a marketing believer. I, I have been for a while. But I mean, I think it makes sense to kind of worry about defense later almost in New Orleans because really you're waiting for Zion to defend. And until he decides he wants to really start locking in on defense, you kind of got maybe focus on offense first. The Lonzo New Orleans thing is really, really interesting. It looked kind of doomed to start this season when he wasn't shooting his threes and teams weren't guarding him. He kind of lost his confidence. But now he's shooting better. And it's just hard because it's hard to know, like, how much should I value more pick and roll guards with Zion, right? Because, like, Lonzo is such a unique fit. He kind of needs to play off a more ball-dominant guard, which they don't really have in New Orleans. So do you want to pay him this big salary when you're already paying Ingram? I can see moving off him in New Orleans. I can see it. I can see why they're, why they're trying to do it. You know what I would be fearful of if I'm any other team besides New Orleans? The fact he'd be away from Fred Vinson their assistant coach who is a shot doctor, you know, he's like chip England quality Wizard. level, you know, if what he's done with Zion already helping with his mechanics, what he's done with Brandon Ingram, what he's done with Lonzo. That's three guys in a matter of just a little over a year that he's really helped their shots develop quite a long way. And it's not the first time that we've heard him have a big impact on shooters. So with Fred Vinson being away from Lonzo, I think about sometimes just put him the, in the deal. Yeah, yeah, put him. 
Start shredding coaches. Start shredding. Yeah. Uh, problem solved. Yeah, we all got 15 solved. coaches now. It'd be easier to move them around than ever before. This, this isn't funny. like Moneyball where it's just like, I want that guy. I want Jonah Hill's character. It, yeah. They, no, they want to keep him. It goes from like David Griffin is talking about trade with Chicago about Lonzo. And they're like, well, what about Fred Vincent? Suddenly he hangs up the phone. <laughs> <laughs> I think what? their interest in Lonzo would uh, diminish at that point. Uh, we'll see what happens with Lonzo over the next day. It's a shame with his brother. You know, LaMelo, you know, having surgery on his wrist out for quite a while now. Hopefully back. Charlotte's been so fun, man. Yeah, it's a major bummer, man. I mean, it's like uh, it gives me something, one less thing that I want to watch every night. So I guess I'll <laughs> I'll be able to pay attention to. It. There's a team every year that like kind of makes me unproductive, you know, in terms of like I sh- I really need to check in with this group, but I'm just like, ah, damn it, Charlotte at Memphis, got to check in on this, you know. I don't know. The inconsequential becomes yeah. fun. The Kentucky Wildcats this year. You had to always check in on them. All right, is that you trying to d- give a little dig to me there? Is that what that is? I'm I mean, just saying, you know, they had a lot of interesting prospects. Got to watch them. <laughs> yeah, yeah the, purely why I check in on them, just the draft prospects. And yeah, the, the the team that's been fun to watch recently in the NBA that was just an eyesore to watch earlier in the season is the Atlanta Hawks. And they've been involved in some trade talks. Just to mention they have interest in Lonzo Ball. There's been a lot of stuff out there about them with John Collins. That seems to have quieted down in recent days. Uh, Yahoo Sports' is Chris Haynes reported that the Hawks don't love any of the offers that they've heard. And I haven't heard a notable peep about Collins in a couple of days now. I mean, after hearing about the Kings, Celtics, Mavs, Pistons, Timberwolves. He said he wanted to stay, didn't he? Yeah, didn't and, he just and, exactly. That? And he said he Not wants to anything. stay. You know, yeah. But, you know, it, 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 it says something. You know, Aaron Gordon said last night, I'm frustrated. <laughs> you know, John Collins didn't come out and say that. But with Atlanta... You know, the, the the difference for them is it's not just about the quality of the player. Collins is averaging 18 points. He's an elite lob threat, 37% from three. There's not a lot of guys that are that good from three and that good on lobs, and that's great to have with Trey. The Hawks reportedly offered four years, $90 million before the season, $22.5 million per. Collins wants the max. Four years, $126 million, $31.5 million per season. Big difference of about $9 million between what the Hawks offered before the year and what Collins and his team wants. If you're Atlanta, you know, what are you doing here, Kyle, moving forward with Collins? Because he's a good fit, but financially that might run you into some trouble if you don't feel like it's a championship core. Where do you land with that? I mean, it seems inevitable that they're going to move him. I mean, because these guys, and something that, like, um, a common denominator that I've noticed among the guys who just keep popping up into these conversations is, they have like that offensive switchability, like role malleability between the four and the five spots and guys that can spread the floor like Gordon. Uh, and now we're talking about Collins, similar players, really. And then you t- I, I think that Collins is probably a little bit more polished ball skills wise. And then, I mean, you've heard like Larry Nance is another guy that's come up a lot. I know you love him, KOC. I love it's like teams. Larry Nance. <laughs> and I, I'd be interested. <laughs> creepy. I, I would say the... Oh, uh, creepy. <laughs> no, the way you your voice defender who can shoot threes and pass and play in the I'm short not, role. He's a I'm not talking. Guy. You just had a... You had a stalker vibe there. Hands. If somebody <laughs> wants to clip the way hey. he said that, you can decide for yourself. Yeah, that's that's fine. Uh, I, I, I I just I, thought I, it had restraining I, order on it. it sounded, I, you know, it's what it sounded my like. My love for Larry Nance as a basketball player is unmatched. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. So I, I think you have your crushes that you stay on, and I, I really I appreciate that about you. You're a loyal guy. But I, I think that's um, – and I do too. It's it's an interesting question of value for me across the league because you hear these teams that are interested. They're like, man, we really could add. And I'm just wondering, like, what do you think it is that those guys have in common? Do you think that that like those types of players, do they really give you like a type of lineup flexibility that teams see as like super attractive, like Collins and Gordon? I mean, what what do you guys think about that specifically in terms of what they provide? What it is? What is it about them specifically? Aside from the fact that like, they you know, just like big picture. Is there is there something in common that good teams want or reason why? Well, I mean, I wonder if it's almost the other way, right? Is why are they available in trades, you know? Yeah, that's a it's good like, way to put it, too. Because, right, because teams are interested because those are the guys that are out there, right? Six, nine. I guess it's the classic, like, are you not a... It's almost like, you know, 
these guys, they're not centers. Can they be true stretch fours, all that stuff? I'm not sure. It's a good question. I guess with the Hawks and Collins, it's like, if he wants a max, that's the beauty of being an RFA, right? If you want a max, then you're free to go get one and we'll match it and figure it out from there. I don't know that they're just going to let a guy like that walk for any reason. I mean, they're the fourth seed in the East right now. And I mean, they, they, their upside before the season, I thought was a lot higher. So it's like, you know, this all could balance out. When are they going to be at full health again? Is another question. Yeah. Gallo's questionable for tonight, but they're mostly back. Uh, Cam Reddish has been out with some kind of Achilles thing. And then DeAndre Hunter came back. That's the big one. So they're finally getting all their pieces back and going. And it just doesn't seem to make any sense when you've been so bad as Atlanta has been for so long to like blow this team up now by trading Collins. I mean, they got to ride this out a little bit. I mean, let's go to the playoffs, see what happens. We're winning games now. There's no reason to start overthinking this. Assuming some of the chemistry stuff has like lowered to a simmer, like because they, I mean, they were pretty volatile there for a little bit. But I wonder if like maybe switching up the coaching situation, that's a factor too that we can't comment on, I guess. And and I'm with you, Kyle, that I think with them, it seems like things are good right now. And as long as things are good, you know, the front office and coaching staff feels it's good, then there's no reason to rush and make a deal. But I do think it makes sense to at least explore here because it seems like, you know, with the play-in tournament, you have the seven and eight seeds that could face the nine and ten seeds. The top six seeds in each conference are locked in in the postseason. So seven to ten will have to fight for the two final spots in the playoffs. But more teams have an opportunity to get in. So with so many buyers, maybe you do try to be a seller and, that's what stuck out to me with this Indiana Pacers report on Tuesday from Vincent Goodwill from Yahoo Sports. He reported that multiple teams are saying the Pacers are listening to pitches on Malcolm Brogdon and they're monitoring DeMontis Sabonis as well. And there's been some stuff floating out there that I mentioned on the mismatch on Tuesday that's been reported elsewhere that Nate Bjorkman, their first year head coach, you know, there's been some ups and downs in, the, in terms of the locker room, in terms of chemistry, in terms of his coaching, him figuring out how to be a first-year head coach. And so with Indiana, does it make sense to at least listen and explore with a guy like Sabonis and Brogdon, two very, very good players, especially Sabonis, a former all-star, in this market, considering the fact that maybe you could get a team to way, way overpay? I mean, like, what do you think about that, Sharks, from Indiana's perspective? I mean, I think it makes sense. They're 19 and 23. They're the 10th seed in the East right now. They've got a ton of talent. It's clearly not 100% clicking. They've had some injuries. They haven't had TJ Warren all year. But they've also been shopping Miles Turner for like two years. And he's a really good player. So if you can put Miles Turner out there, I don't necessarily see why you couldn't put out Sabonis and Brogdon and see what's available. Like this team needs a spark. Yeah, you're in good, not great territory. And you're in the East where it's just like the inevitable thing that that you have to think about is what who do we have to go through? There are teams that they couldn't go through right now. It, it's just not going to happen. So, yeah, of course you listen. I mean, and you have some guys, KOC, like you were saying, like Sabonis has value that I think could even be amplified in different contexts, like depending on who your personnel are. Um, and the Levert at, at, as an initiator thing I thought was really interesting. I mean, if they what, – what was it your quote about like uh, Levert and their plans on him or how they're seeing him? So Vincent Goodwill reported that, you know, if they were to trade Brogdon, that they view Karis Levert, quote, as a player who can man the point guard adequately enough should they get a real deal for Brogdon. That's what Goodwill wrote. Um, I think, you know, that's what the Pacers say or believe internally that Levert can take that on. Do you think that <laughs> that's they, just funny? Levert that's a funny that phrasing. I like that. Like, he could he could man it and be adequate. It's not exactly enough. effusive praise. <laughs> Sharks could man a spot on this podcast and <laughs> adequately get by, but really we're hoping that Joe Rogan becomes available. Yeah, like Joe I mean, it's Rogan. not. I'm kidding, obviously. But Jonathan yeah, Sharks experience. Uh, it's not exactly a sell. <laughs> you think they'd be like the Michael Scott like oven mitt thing? And be like, oh yeah, Lavert's incredible. We yeah. Anyway, but yeah, for I think, what it's worth, that I, I I paraphrase part of that. The quote is <laughs> on Brogdon. The belief is the Pacers feel Karis Lavert can man. The point guard adequately. I love that idea. Yeah. I mean, I love the yeah. idea of a big initiator at at at, at one. I mean, <laughs> but but yeah, I mean, it, 
And two, man, coaches get blamed quickly. I mean, we've seen this even with really great teams, like where players have a lot of power and you start getting a little uncomfortable if like the fit isn't quite working well. I mean, at one point, didn't Kyle Lowry get super mad at Masai at one point? I mean, these things just kind of happen and they leak out. And now he has great credibility with him. Uh, I don't know. But maybe it's worse than we know. I don't know. Yeah, Kyle, I think the Levert thing is interesting because that's when he's been at his best on the ball. If you go back to the Brooklyn days, there was always a thing like, is this Karis Levert's team or D'Angelo Russell's team? And then it kind of became clear by the end of that series against the Sixers, no, Levert's the better kind of initiator. But then they got Kyrie Irving. It didn't even matter anymore. It became like, why do you even care about this question? <laughs> I think Levert is best used. He's not a guy that I'm like, okay, I, I need you to carry like a really heavy load here. And we're, we're going to center everything around you. I think Levert is most um, crippling to try, to try to plan for when you're mixing him in. Because he's, he is such a talented scorer. I mean, we've seen it that like when you're mixing Levert in with other players who are capable, who can handle some pick and roll load and things like that. I mean, he just becomes a nightmare because you can't focus on him. You can't sell out to focus on him. And we've seen him. He has the upside, the volatility to kind of go up into that like all-star scoring level on some nights. Like he could do that. So, but yeah, I, I really, I like Levert. I'm high on Levert. Houston might be regretting not picking Levert mm. over Oladipo. They had a choice. They could have. And they chose Oladipo there. And the, I mean, I, one of the reasons why was probably to either keep him long-term or flip him. If he improved his value, he has not improved his value. So that's a shame for Houston and for Indiana. I'd, I'd hold on through this, ride out the storm, you know, enter the offseason, then evaluate them. Sabonis is too good to deal right now. Um, but you but know, listen, you know, no you listen, no you got to listen, listen at least. I mean, you never know if someone's going to offer you like all their first round draft picks and all their pick swaps. Sabonis, I mean, do we agree that he's not the level of player where it's like you just hang up the phone? He's a level or two below that, right? Yeah, I mean, I think he's... I guess it, I guess it comes down to how much you think he can grow. I mean, defensively, he's been kind of roasted a lot this year, like on the ball. Uh, his foot speed has kind of gotten exposed, and I think teams are maybe going to potentially go go at him more in that sense. Um, but yeah, I I don't think that he's quite on that level. I think that he's somebody who's made a lot with like what he what he has. I guess that's sort of a downplaying kind of crude way to put it. But yeah, I don't think that he's quite on that level where you're just like no way, no how. Yeah, I'd listen. We got tweeted at by a listener the other day at Kai Santana with a pretty good question. And he asked, who are the buy low young guys that you'd target right now in a trade ahead of the deadline? And, you know, Kyle, we've seen Marvin Bagley as a young guy and, you know, shaky situation involved. Does he fall into that buy low category for you? You know, Bagley is to me entering a discussion that I never he's he's entering a discussion zone that I never thought would happen personally and one of my one of my all-time just kind of like misjudgings was Bagley and I've just been surprised with how his career has gone now he's kind of had off and on health for me I what what really raised an eyebrow for me was the other day they were talking about I think that they said the Pistons were like no we're not trading Sadiq Bay for Marvin Bagley and I, I that just triggered me and flagged like is Bagley and tell me if you guys agree with this is or, or gauge this for me. How dangerous is this Bagley situation? How much in danger is it of like going off of a cliff to where he becomes one of those former lottery guys that just starts to journey? Like, I don't know what I would give up for him, honestly. I Because the question marks have started to pile up so much. And in like studying, studying tape of different prospects and things like that, it's become defensively, it's just become a joke. Like, I mean, everybody takes him off the dribble. I was watching a Knicks-Kings game the other night where Julius Randle just like, I mean, he just abused him. He destroyed him. And and it's like he he's he's had a hard time not being compartmentalized, like what he provides offensively. Um, he's just been, yeah, a, a weird fit with Fox from the from the jump. It's a tough situation for the Kings. Like how how close are we to danger zone? Do you all think like talking about what I just said, where he's going to become one of those guys? Danger is definitely going to happen. Like it's not even a question of danger zone to me. Like that's oh, for sure the outcome. It's over. You think it, you think do you think he is like officially going to become like the Greg Monroe type? I, well, I wouldn't go that far, there. but like I just think I mean, you look at it. There's a new front office, right? Like they have no ties to the guy. His dad's already asked him for trades. He's going to be up for a deal pretty soon. They're not going to pay him. He doesn't feel with the players they have. He clearly needs a fresh start. I mean, like all everything, every I just think every check, every flag, Kyle, like it's all 100 miles an hour ahead like that's that's all lining up 
And I just think Bagley's a guy, as I was talking about earlier in the show, like in two or three or four years, I would love to grab Marvin Bagley on his third team, be his fourth team. Maybe then I think he might be ready for the role he needs in the NBA. But I think I think it's definitely going to happen. But Bagley's one of those guys that, like you said earlier, Charks, you want them on their second team or their third team. And maybe at that point, they'll be ready uh, to answer Kai Santana's question. The guy I'd target, no surprise, Mo Bamba. Gave all, <laughs> all the draft picks, all the young players to go get Mo Bamba. KOC. <laughs> I, if I was Orlando, I would go after Time Lord. Like maybe we could flip something like that. Oh, like if yeah, yeah. Time Lord's the Bamba guy. Bamba and Gordon. Okay. Are they yeah, let me time Lord? They like him. I don't think so. They do like time But Lord. I would love to sneak in Time Lord in one of those yeah. conversations. It, it, from, if, to your point, if you're Orlando, that's what you're trying to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's cool. Yeah, I'd like mm-hmm. to trade for a, a nice new Corvette, but that's not going to happen. Like, my car won't go for that. I I, I still I'd love to like, trade I, for a Tesla. That's what I want to go for. I like Teslas, too. I <laughs> want one. Cool. A Model yeah. X. Yeah, I like. I still can't believe Robert Williams fell in that draft. I was watching that just in total disbelief because, you know, I, but I guess it's a good thing that he went to the culture that he went to. And from what I've heard, KFC, you can comment on this. I mean, they seem to really like him and I can see why he's a mobile guy and he's uh, I think he still has even more upside to go. Honestly, they, they do get the, the Celtics really like uh, Robert Williams, Time Lord. He's just known as Time Lord. That, that's his name. At Walt Disney World Resort, magic is found in spontaneity, the unplanned, the unexpected, an inside joke born in the Haunted Mansion queue, a surprise stitch sighting in Tomorrowland, watching fireworks from your room. These memories aren't made from predetermined plans, but manifested from simply being present and together in the most magical place. Find your moment at Walt Disney World Resort. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Now it's time for the State Farm Surprisingly Great segment of the week. Just like State Farm has surprisingly great rates, March always brings some of the biggest surprises in college basketball. Guys, we've had some surprises in the opening two rounds of the NCAA tournament. What stood out most to you, Charks, as the biggest surprise? I mean, my Texas Longhorns losing to Abilene Christian. <laughs> Let me tell you, that was <laughs> shocking, cutting, all the Shaka. above surprising. Shaka. Shaka. Yeah. <laughs> Man. Well, I think it, Sharks, I think it's a pretty pressing question for Texas now is the Shaka thing. I mean, are we like, is he trying to find a new location? Are, are, are Texas fans, they had a decent season? Are they wanting to hang, keep Shaka, keep him hanging around? What's what's the situation? You're shaking your head. Uh, so my guy Shaka, you want to guess how many NCAA tournament games he's won since the Final Four in 2011? Zero? That's right. You want to guess how wow. many conference titles he's won his entire career as a coach? Regular season conference titles? How many? Zero. Wow. <laughs> so <laughs> that's I think surprising. We're, 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 we're good with Shaka. I think we gave it a shot. He had a great run when he was the underdog. He kind of went to the big school. It hasn't worked out. And now we're still on the other side of it. We're looking at all these other small schools winning games and being like, man, let's just win one. Oral Roberts won two games. You can't win one. And then you get LaLoya Chicago winning again, going to another Sweet 16. Sister Jean making another run. (laughs) Yeah, Loyola, I mean, they've been good the last few years, and I feel like it's one of those things that uh, it's surprising, but if people pay close attention, I mean, they've had one of the better defenses for the whole year. They play really well together. They're an example of, if you have guys that really buy into a scheme and you come up against people who aren't prepared or maybe overlook them, that they can beat you, man. And they have some talent. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, Loyola has been really fun to watch. It was a different kind of surprise. It wasn't surprising they won. It was surprising they beat the beat the heck out of Illinois, like the number one seed. Yeah. They just dominated them from start of the game to the finish. And, and they do have a 
a lottery prospect on their team, don't they, Kyle? <laughs> well, I mean, this has come up a lot. Uh, yeah, Cam, Cam Crutwig, one of the best uh, haircuts and mustache combos. Mm. That kid is just a joy. He's uh, Anyway, but I mean, Baby Jokic, he's he's just an amazing, like... Baby Jokic. I was saying if he could drill that 15-footer, man, they might have beaten Illinois by 20. Like, seriously, he, was, he wasn't even taking that shot, and he was still killing them. I mean, he was killing Kofi Coburn. Um, just just a really really you know high iq facilitator and he he has that kind of slow motion game they were running some of those elbow actions where he was throwing those long bounce mm, passes to cutters wonderful. it's just gorgeous i mean if you love if you love pretty basketball like that where people are playing hard off ball and things like that he's he's just one of those one of those places it's fun to watch kyle Pretty basketball, not pretty players. That's what we're about here on. <laughs> but my biggest exactly. surprise is moving Cameron Crutwig <laughs> up to number one on my NBA draft big board. But that's that's March Madness. The big board of our hearts. Whether college basketball surprises go your way or not, you can count on getting the personalized service of a local State Farm agent for a surprisingly great rate. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, now let's talk about some prospects that actually have a chance to be drafted in the, in the top five. One of them, Kate Cunningham, bounced in the second round. Evan Mobley from USC, still going. Jalen Suggs from Gonzaga, still going. Cade Cunningham, guys, 15 points on three of 14 in his first game, 24 points on six of 20 in his second game. Those are some Jordan Crawford stat lines. Sharks, Ooh, does, ouch, does geez, his performance at all change perception of Cunningham as the number one pick in the draft? I think it shouldn't if you've been watching him carefully this season because it kind of played into some stuff we've been talking about in the pod before. So it really, like, as I, the more I watch Cade, the more I just think of him, he's the guy, he lets the game come to him. He's a make the right play guy, make the extra pass. I get in the lane double team, I'm going to pass it out. He's not a, he's, he's not a guy who's like a forceful scorer. He's a guy who makes the right play and kind of lets the defense dictate how he's going to make the move from there. And in that, in those two games, both teams, Liberty and Oregon State, they're like, your teammates can't shoot. We're just going to swarm you in the paint. And what are you really going to do? And he really couldn't, it was, there was just no answer for that. So his teammates shot, like, I think it was like 20% from three in both games. And he just had to force like up zero. shot, tough Maybe it was where I can't, I, I have here is five for 25 in those two yeah. games combined. And like with no space on the floor, they're wow. just crowding him. He's eventually having to force up shots. It's not really his game, forcing up shots in traffic like that. And I just think Kate is great. Those are his weaknesses. We saw them exposed, but in a different setting with more NBA talent around him, it shouldn't look like that. Yeah. I mean, they're loading up on him and he, and he has some of that, uh, he has some of that like Luca Dennis Smith Jr. thing going on with like some of the there's like role dissonance going on where players aren't aren't like understanding. We saw some of that. Uh, and, and I mean, he didn't it touch just, the ball down the stretch, Kyle. Yeah, it was crazy. I mean, I was I was like, you know, tweeting saying that I, I need I need you to kind of like, you know, put your put your offensive muscles uh, on the table here a little bit, Kate, and just saying like, all right, it's my it's my time. But I mean, your your teammates kind of have to defer to you in that way. And I think it's his personality like chart. A lot of this lines up with questions that we've asked in the past. It's kind of like that is is Kate a full blown heliocentric prospect? He very well could be still like, but I think he could still be a like supremely good NBA player, even if he's not to that level. That hardened Luca, I, I have to go get get mine right now. But I think that, you know, just because the numbers were inefficient, I'm not really worried about that. I think you get him in a situation where he has capable people around him, and and he's going to be he's he's a, he's a floor raising player. I still am bullish on Kate Cunningham. So short answer for us is no, it shouldn't change perception. But with that said, Charks, you wrote a big feature and we talked about him recently, Evan Mobley from USC. Um, has he shown anything in the two games so far or is there anything he can show in the Sweet 16 with USC and moving forward potentially that could make him really, really push for not just being number one in that conversation, but like kind of the clear-cut guy. Is there anything he can show? I think he's already shown it to some degree. Like okay. Evan yeah. Mobley is a great player. I mean, like, Cade's great too, but I feel like sometimes you get into this whole, like, it's Cade and everyone else. To me, it's Cade and Mobley and everyone else. Uh, like, I just think Mobley, seven foot, can guard the entire floor. I think the scoring, it's like with Cade a little bit too. Mobley's also a guy who likes to pass a lot. I mean, I think in the uh, in the Cade's game, it was actually his older brother who shot took more shots, Isaiah. So, like, it's the same kind of thing, actually, where Evan is like, I'm making the right play. I'll take the shot when it's there. But if it's not there, I'm going to move the ball. 
But the more you watch Evan Mobley, the more impressed you should be because he's just that good. Yeah, I mean, he's he has definitely answered a lot of the questions that I had in terms of I was wondering about in space what his north north south speed foot speed would be, you know, because he has he's not like a, a twitchy, really quick kind of athlete in the way that like Giannis is physically built similarly to 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 Evan, but like Evan's not quite the same twitchy type guy, and I think that. I mean, he has a wingspan of seven four or seven five, depending on who you're asking, a nine foot standing reach. The key thing about that is how quickly he gets to his high point, and he he affected the whole first half of that last tournament game that they had. And I just think that he could be a high level positional defensive anchor. Um, I think we're to the point where in this draft, if you end up with either one of those guys, you feel pretty damn good. Like I, I think Mobley is a special player. And with Mobley, some of the the raw go to go to scoring qualities that could manifest over time are pretty, pretty appealing. If you're drafting high to have a big who can shoot off the dribble, that that's really the, the difference between some, a lot of bigs can shoot threes. Now a lot of bigs can finish at the rim. There still aren't a lot of bigs that can create their own shot off the dribble. And Evan Mobley has flashed that ability with some turnaround jumpers. He likes to spin move in the lane. If he can extend that range out over the course of time, you could have a pretty devastating player on the offensive end who also is unselfish and is willing yeah. to be the second guy. And a lot of people look at that as a negative, like, ah, I wish he would demand the ball. Is it really such a, a bad thing to have a guy on a winning team? That's like some nights I'll get 30, some nights I'll get 12 and either way, I'll be happy. I, I look at that as a positive quality from Mobley when it's so rare that you'd have a big man who would carry your offense. I think it's a good thing. Yeah. And he's, he's shown, I mean, Kansas, the defense really intrigues me the most, but I mean, like Kansas was terrified of him and like physically yeah. what I was noticing too, is man just to get guys who have that like balance and like physical like deceleration around the rim to finish i mean he can just he can just he can get to the rim like his ball skills are strong enough and and then like kind of stop on the dime i talked a lot about like how Embiid does that like big guys that can do that with control um you just you're getting a two-way thing that you just don't get out of out of six eleven seven footers very often the thing about mobley to me this is a guy I could see getting better every year for like eight, nine years. Like that's when you have a really elite seven footer like that. Like he's going to, he's very, he's not as big right now. He's kind of skinny. He's going to grow into his body as he develops his jumper. It opens up his ball handling game. Like, and that's going to come really slowly, but seven footers like that, like you can draft Evan Mobley and like in 2030 could still be getting better. Like that's the kind of prospect, the kind of player he is. <laughs> Like that's in my head. Like I've been thinking for a while. I think Cade's gonna be a better player for a while, but I would not shock me if Cade's the hare, Mobley's the tortoise. Oh, in the late twenty twenties, all of a sudden, very interesting. Here he comes. Is there any chance of Jalen Suggs from Gonzaga being the tortoise, Kyle? I mean, we agree on Jalen Suggs. I mean, I think he's gonna be <laughs> the praise that we've given to these three guys is really high. I mean, I, th I think it's a good draft. It's a good draft. I think those top three for sure. I mean, like I overall, I was talking to somebody, I overall have kind of come down on this draft as a whole, but I, I think that like in those top three spots, you're getting three guys that are going to be like very, very high quality NBA players, like two stars. I mean, I think that Suggs is going to be in the NBA for a long time and a guy that gives you a lot of quality things and you watch Gonzaga, my God, like what an embarrassment of riches that team, like to have Nimhart and Suggs that you can just interchange and throw out there. And then I wanted to say this stat really quick. Gonzaga has two of the top five most efficient overall players over 300 possessions in Kispert and Timmy. They're just wow. unguardable. They're like 2018 Villanova. But, I mean, yeah, Suggs, should Suggs, is there a world where in 10 years from now, is Suggs the best of those three? I would lean no on that. I mean, just yeah. because I agree with Sharks in terms of, like, the growth plates on, on, on Mobley's game. He doesn't lean on anything that is, like, a bad habit. Like if you watch just his positional intelligence defensively, he's a guy that's going to play for a long time and be really good. I think absolutely. And you know, similar with Gonzaga, like Suggs will play a long time. Corey Kispert, their knockdown shooter, he's improved defensively. I mean, he's better athletically than he gets credit for. He's constantly gotten better each year in college. He finds himself now in the lottery. KOC, what's up, Jarks? Would you call uh, Kispert sneakily athletic or deceptively <laughs> athletic? One of which, oh, which one is? Uh, Neither. He's a nose for the ball. He puts his lunch pail. He gets his lunch pail and goes to work. He's a gym rat. <laughs> He's a grinder. He hustles. <laughs> Cerebral a, player. You, you know who is a hustler? Scotty Barnes from Florida State. He's and we're going to see. 
<laughs> we're going to see some, a pretty good matchup with him against Wagner from Michigan in the Sweet 16. Is that, if, if NBA fans are like, I, get, I can turn on one college basketball game, is Florida State, Michigan, the game that they should watch from a draft perspective with Barnes versus Wagner? I mean, it's definitely the matchup. I mean, if you look around the Fleet 16, try to find two high-level NBA prospects going at the same position, that's the two. And those, are, I think, are the most compelling matchups because especially for a guy like Franz Wagner, he's in the Big Ten, he's 6'9", athletic combo forward. There's no NBA guys he's playing all year. This is his chance against another guy at his position who's going to be... I kill, he's going to go from playing Scotty Barnes once a year to 80 times a year. So let's see how yeah, he looks in this exactly. matchup. That, yeah. I think, is going to be really telling for him. Sounds, sounds like you're, this is a maybe not quite a make-or-break game, but it is, it is by far the best test for Wagner against Scotty Barnes, who, you know, for him, too, uh, in some ways, Scotty Barnes, I think, is a little bit underrated. You know, he has some severe limitations as a scorer, but I look at him as a guy who's a passer, a guy who never stops trying on defense. Like we talk about hustle, like he constantly brings it and he could be a versatile, switchable defender for you. Can handle the ball, some DHOs down the line. I like Scotty Barnes, but that's going to be a good test for Wagner. Is there any other thoughts you have on that matchup, Kyle? What you're going to be watching for? I have a question for you, actually. Because you were, you were okay. just talking about those four fives and like the different skill sets in the NBA. That's, that's my is recent Scott, thing. Is this Scotty Barnes? Is that what <laughs> this is? That's my recent thing. Yeah, I love those guys. Yeah, I mean, is there a world where uh, I've I've weirdly just kind of been in a position to watch Barnes for a while? Like I watched him with Vernon Carey in high school a little bit, and he's at an interesting evolution. At that point, he was just like jacking up too many shots. Like I was just really frustrated watching him. He's evolved into this guy that like is there a world where Yes, Charks. But is there a world where he could evolve into like a a big Marcus Smart type, like a guy who is like oh, your yeah, your yeah. your offensive like your your defensive engine? I just think he's going to play on good teams, and I think that good teams are going to value people like Scotty Barnes because he can add plus value in some areas, you know, and he gives you playmaking too. And I mean, if he ever gets to the point where he is a dependable shooter, um, I was I just, just going to ask th- you guys. I think I'm higher on Barnes than the average person. The jump shot. That's the one thing for me with Scotty Barnes. It's just so hard these days. Guys don't shoot. Is there any other matchup charts that stands out for you um, in the Sweet 16? I mean, we should probably talk about Max Azmus from Jesuit High, my rival high school, Oral uh-huh. Roberts. Against Moses Moody, right? Yeah, Arkansas. I mean, I, th- I imagine Arkansas will try to pressure Azmus, get the ball out of his hands. He's obviously had a great tournament. Um, he's kind of the, I guess he's like the face of the tournament so far right now, right? I'd say Crutwig's the face of the tournament. Yeah, yeah, yeah I mean, Amos a- 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 is is an interesting player. It's just that he's a little he's a little skinny, and he's fitting into that like volume, like you said, Jordan Crawford. I mean, he's he's an efficient like and willing passer, but you know, a streaky lather score. I mean, he's put it on two high majors in a row. They couldn't stop him. Uh, yeah. It's and it's just kind of yeah. Moody will be a good test. He It'll will. Good uh, test. Arkansas yeah. has a number of perimeter defenders that could they could throw at him, and that's going to be a fun game to watch. Right. If Avesmith has a big game, you know, against Moody, who is a lottery prospect, you know, likely going to go maybe in the top 10, uh, definitely in the lottery, though, that could put him on the NBA draft radar. Uh, So we'll see about that. That'll be fun to watch. We got Cameron Cartwig versus the world. I look forward to that. That's going to be exciting. Kyle, do you have an NBA comparison for Cartwig? You mentioned light Jokic earlier. (laughs) Yeah, I was thinking uh, Larry Bird was another one. No, he he made... (laughs) You know, defensively, it would be a, a challenge for him. But I mean, yeah, if yeah, he was in a different body, I mean, absolutely, he he could be. <laughs> I mean, he's talented. I don't. I mean, that's a horrible that. thing. Right, so who, no, who's I your just, NBA cop, Kyle? <laughs> well, no, no like, body shaming on this podcast. I don't. I don't think I have. No, it's not. It's no, not body not, shaming. Not, it's, not it's, Julius Randall. No, Julius no, Randall. No, no, I wouldn't put him up there. Okay. I would just say that like Crutwig is. Do you want to plug he, your Julius Randall video though? Crutwood made a, a touch pass in that pass game against Illinois that almost made me weep. Right. It was beautiful. It was Bird-esque. He's a, he's a talented passer. He's a smart player. Um, yeah, is. I mean, recently I put out um, a Julius Randle video just kind of talking about his improvement offensively, what what's happened, why it's happened, how it's affected his overall game. And then he went out last night and kicked ass. So I appreciate that, I Julius. look forward Thank to you. your Cartwig video five years from now. That's going to be fun to watch. Rookie uh, reports r- next r- year. Yeah. It's more, it's going to be more quick. like a documentary series. Probably, you know, six hours. <laughs> no big deal. <laughs> life, the life and times. Real quick before we go, let's go around and let's each name one other player, non-lottery prospect to watch. You know, just, you know, 
throw the name out there. Who do you got, Kyle? Oh, can I do two or can I do two quickly? Sure. There you go. Yeah. Okay. Okay. First <laughs> no one is rules. <laughs> first one is Chris Duarte from uh, from Oregon. This is a guy who took like an odd path. He's 23 years old. I joked about this in our video. We dismiss guys like that often, but he's 23. He was one of the most efficient offensive players in America this past year. Uh, I have questions about him. Like, I think he's a guy that could scale up in terms of like how you could use him as a shooter. He shoots a really easy ball. He can relocate really well. I think the question for him is like, can he evolve into somebody who is an off ball creator off the catch in traffic? He looked a little shaky at times to me. But, um, you know, he's big. He's 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 six, six. He shot forty two point eight from three on five point five three point attempts for Oregon. Good player. I like him. Another guy that I think that could be another type of like someone that could hang around in the NBA for a while is uh, Jeremiah Robinson Earl for Villanova. Um, he's built like a truck. He's always around the ball. He shoots an easy three ball as well. I think he's somebody that can you don't need. He's not going to have a big appetite for a, a, like a role that maybe he's not qualified for. Uh, he's just, I think he could be, I think he could end up being a quality role player in the NBA. Who do you got, Sharks? I'm going to go with uh, Davion Mitchell from Baylor. He's kind of been the key to them going from a good to just a great, great team this year. He's like the 6'2", 200-pound defensive pit bull who's really kind of found a three-point shot. He might be one of the best athletes in the draft. He kind of plays on and off the ball for them. And just, he's like your classic new model uh, combo guard, like, if you have your big Ben Simmons type player, he's kind of one of the possible like types of players next to that. If you're going to put an elite athlete, elite defensive player who can knock down threes and make just enough plays to make the offense run. So Philly should be trying to get him is what you're saying. <laughs> he's got a, he's a Philly kind of player for sure. I got his teammate, Jared Butler from Baylor. Shot 41% from three this year, 38% in his three years at Baylor. Good 6'3 guard, good ball handler, can create a little bit for you. I liked him in the draft last year before he pulled his name out, and he's gotten better this year. I look forward to seeing how him and Mitchell and all these guys do moving forward in the tournament. Baylor has like a 3D printer where they just print those guys, I swear. (laughs) These like really athletic combo wing types. Anyway, they do. Guys, this was fun. (laughs) We got a lot trade deadline on Thursday, NCAA tournament back on Saturday, and we'll be back in two weeks. It'll be after the tournament, right? Yeah, that'll be right after the the championship game, right? Right right after the championship game. So we'll be back in two weeks, two Wednesdays from now with another episode of Ringer NBA University. Guys, this was fun. Yeah, good stuff, y'all. Love talking to y'all. Thank you to Isaiah Blakely for producing today's show and for offering his take on the Celtics and why they should not go for Aaron Gordon. And thank you for listening. Please do us a favor. Give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Follow us on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. Hope you have a fun rest of your day. Basketball is very good. Basketball is very good.